0: From the studios of Farm Journal broadcast, this is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next sixty minutes. A rare mid-December tornado demolishes parts of Kentucky. In
2: a matter of two minutes, it just blew everything up.
1: That's as cleanup is now underway. Wild winds barreled across the country this week, catching barns and fields on fire in Kansas. A final sail in the most fitting way.
2: He
3: was the type that would like to be remembered that way, that he was trying to
4: make the world a better
2: place.
1: Tragedy with a turn of destiny and grit
2: with grace. And in John's world... What did the 2020 census really tell us?
1: now for the news. It's a busy weekend again for people cleaning up after more than 30 tornadoes tore through eight states, killing dozens of people. Thousands of structures were demolished in the storms. Hardest hit seems to be western Kentucky, where officials warning residents could be without heat, water or electricity for weeks or longer.
2: And it came and it just, you know, in a matter of two minutes. It just blew everything up. The house is
0: gone. Um, there's there's nothing left. We lost lives in at least eight counties, and at least 18 counties suffered damage."
1: The images are heartbreaking in southern Kentucky, entire communities destroyed. You're looking at the before and after of Mayfield Grain Company, which took a direct hit from a tornado. Jake Whitford says Mayfield Grain is his family's facility, which includes three locations, two of which were destroyed in the storm. And several other ag-related businesses also dealing with damage. Simplot Grower Solutions posting on Twitter that several locations have severe damage, including its building in Hartford and Mayfield, Kentucky, but that no employees or farmers were hurt. And while much of the focus has been on the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, the work is no less daunting at farms up the road, as our camera crew found out this week. You're looking at what's left of one man's farm in Cool Springs, Tennessee. His farm equipment was severely damaged. His shop, rated for 120 mile-per-hour winds, now in pieces, most of it 2 to 3 tenths of a mile away.
2: Concrete footings, metal beams just mangled. I don't know how strong the winds were, but it, it was way over 120. Just thankful that that all my that my family and my neighbors are, right. I mean, honestly. We're just all thankful to, to still be here, be, be walking on top of the ground.
1: The farmhouse where he grew up originally built in 1927 also lost. Also this week farther west, possible help with drought in California, the system bringing rains as major winter storms hit the northern part of the state. Here's a look at I-80 near Donner Lake. This is northwest of Lake Tahoe. In some parts of the state, 17 inches of snow has already fallen. Well, dangerously high winds blowing across the plains in the Midwest amid warmer temperatures and those wild winds causing several fires, specifically in Kansas. Pushing into Goodland, Kansas, those winds having an effect. We've seen reports of winds gusting in excess of 100 miles per hour. You can see the traffic camera really bouncing around here. The winds so strong that many schools were closed for the day in western parts of the state. And that wind not good news for the winter wheat crop in the high plains, but it's cattle producers that are also dealing with the aftermath. Several cattle caught in that fire and ranchers telling us some of them lost their homes, their barns and their farms.
5: My family's home and and
2: the home that we used to live in up at the feedlot and farm equipment. I mean,
4: it's I still haven't seen the full extent of it.
1: Dickerson telling affiliate KWCH that as the family continues to get a handle on just how much they lost, it's going to be a long road to recovery. An area residents telling us the fire hit four counties around the Paradise, Kansas area. So now it's being called the four counties fire and most of those were sparked by downed power lines caused by the wind. In Minnesota, two possible tornadoes touched down, the first ever reported in the state in the month of December. In total, the National Weather Service investigating possibly 20 tornadoes touching down this week. Well, Iowa farmland values have been on a historic run. That's according to Iowa State University, which began surveying values in 1941. This map shows the percentage change just in the last year. The state average shows the average value across the state has increased a whopping 29% since 2020. The last time farmland values increased more than 25% was in 2011. That's when values rose 32.5% thanks to surging ethanol demand and higher commodity prices. Now experts say this time it's due in part to stronger commodity prices because of higher exports, stronger than expected crop yields, as well as coronavirus aid payments. The average statewide value of an acre of farmland is now $9,751. High fertilizer prices have been top of mind for months as farmers look to next season. But according to a new report, it may be their tax bill. That feels the pinch. The American Farm Bureau analyzing the fertilizer situation saying ultimately there are a bunch of reasons prices have soared. AFBF's Market Intel service says higher costs won't be the only impact to farmers' budgets. It says farmers' inability to purchase fertilizer this year for 2022, it means they'll likely face a higher tax bill. The report also expects fertilizer prices to remain high through spring planting and often be hard to get. From the high winds to the severe storms, will the wild weather take a calmer tone leading into the holidays next week? We'll have your forecast next. Meteorologist Matt Urasavik joins us for weather. Matt, just pure devastation caused by the weather this past week. From the tornadoes touching down in Kentucky to the high winds sparking fires in Kansas. Let's hope your forecast has a calmer tone heading into the holidays.
6: Yeah, Tynan, it does look like we are going to see a little bit of a calmer pattern, at least through the center of the country that really dealt with all of that severe weather. They got a lot of rain out of it, though, and for parts of that area that did help the soil moisture, as you can see here on our root zone soil moisture map, but still a lot of dry conditions out there to the west. And again, that's where our drought has been really persisting through the past couple of months, almost the past year. Still some exceptional drought conditions back that way. It's really from the Rockies on to the West. We still have some of those drought conditions down across the southern portion of the US and even up into the mid-Atlantic states as well. So more of that moisture coming this week as we get Some rain right along the Gulf Coast states this week. But take a look at the jet stream as we head through the day on Sunday. Storm system gathering down in the south. That'll bring a little bit of rain to parts of the area. But notice where all the cold air is well up to the north. Not much of that coming down to the south until we head towards the second half of this week right leading up to Christmas. This Thursday here, the 23rd, dealing with some colder air along into the Dakotas, down into the northern Great Lakes and the northeast as well. So watch as we head through Christmas and into Saturday. Here we go, we're dealing with, this is Christmas here, we're dealing with that colder air dropping down into the Great Lakes and Northeast. That there could bring some lake effect snow showers along with it. Meanwhile, the southern half of the country not doing pretty bad, not doing too bad with more mild conditions down there. Most of that cold air though, still remaining up into Canada. So here's a look at your Monday, a storm system in the Gulf bringing some showers along the Gulf Coast. Mild up here in the Mid-Atlantic and the Great Lakes states with a few lake effect snow showers up to the north. And then a system bringing some rain and some mountain snow to the northern uh, northern Rockies and also down into the Sierra Nevada mountains that continues to be the case into Wednesday. More snow showers spreading there into the north and west, but not much going out, not much else going on across much of the country. Just looking at high pressure in control. Same thing goes for Christmas Eve as Santa's making his rounds may run into a little bit of lake effect snow there in the Great Lakes, but then an active pattern continues out there in the West. So here's a look at the temperatures this week. Below normal all across the northern tier, above normal in the South. And here's a look at the precip as we head through this week. Most of it's going to go on out there in the West. You just saw that on those maps and right along the Canadian border as well. But the center of the country through the Southeast and up the Eastern seaboard, pretty dry as we head through this week. Here's a look at the January temps below normal up there in the Northwest really above normal going on there. Texas across uh, and up the eastern seaboard there, and then the precip. Most of this going on in the northwest and the northern Rockies, and then into the Great Lakes, while the southern tier is below average. Time, back to you. Thank you, Matt. Well, volatility seemed to be the theme of the markets again this week.
1: So what's driving it all? Well, Darren Newsom and Tommy Grossoffi join me with the answer next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Fiercely independent since 1946.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Darren Newsom, Tommy Grasafi joining us. A lot of market volatility lately. Darren, really, what is the market focused on right now?
7: I think the biggest picture right now is just kind of closing out this this incredible 2021. And, you know, since we're in December now, that's basically the first month of summer in South America. So obviously weather is now a key issue again. You know, what's it going to do in Brazil, Argentina? Well, how how are those soybean and corn crops going to look? And that's really, I think, where the focus is going to be. What does each day's weather forecast bring? Certainly seeing it play out in soybeans this week. Uh, corn, not quite as much. But I think the focus is going to be now on South American weather and, and uh, what those crops could turn out to be later this summer.
1: You know, Tommy, it seems like there's a lot of things outside of ag that has been impacting things like wheat and corn and, and, and soybeans lately. Does that change as we head into 2022 or are some of these things like announcements that come from the Fed and watching some of these variants? Do you think that continues to, to headline commodities next year?
8: I, I do, Tyne. I'm I'm very excited about the next twelve months of commodities. After that, it, it it's very blurry, but. Uh... The other day we had a fed meeting and a lot of times when we have a Federal Reserve meeting you see a reaction that day that initial reaction was a stock market explosion. With the relief of oh, the feds going to raise rates, but they they want to make sure we have full employment. But, as you see other countries around the world, the other day we had a surprise rate increase in in the UK, and so the UK is almost on lockdown and they raised interest rates for 2022. Although I'm a grain trader, a grain broker, I will be keeping a a big eye on interest rates. Watch the 30, the 10, the 5, the 2s, the Fed funds rate, and watch how these trillions of dollars that are chain, trading at negative rates start to come positive. We're not going to be able to continue to have 10 15 percent inflation and and think that nothing's going to happen and it's just fascinating to watch you know look at a market like lumber that I thought was dead when it went from 12 1500 to 500 it's back at 1100 today.
1: So speaking of inflation, Darren, I mean when you know last spring and late winter we were talking about inflation and what the impact how it could actually fuel commodity prices. Do you think that continues, or has that changed as we head into 2022? No, I,
7: I think it's. I think it's still an issue. I've always. You know, I've. I've been one of those. Even though I know the word's been thrown out, uh, I do think commodity inflation is transitory. And. It's going to change. Supply and demand changes. We've seen it. You know, as Tommy mentioned, we've seen lumber go up and come back down. We've seen natural gas go up and come back down. You know, it's, it's happening in coffee. It's happening in hogs. It's happening across the board. And so each market seems to get its turn. So I, I do think we're going to continue to see this play into at least the early part of two thousand twenty-two. But you know, again, Tommy mentioned a lot of what's going on with the Fed. But the dollar still seems to be acting like it may be trying to establish a major top and so if the dollar starts to weaken for whatever reason in 2022 does that you know does that light another flame underneath this underneath the inflation talk keep it going longer than what we might have thought so i think there's a lot to play out in 2022 Uh, as far as commodities go they're just going to continue to take their turn at the top
1: is there a certain commodity tommy that typically benefits most from inflation and i'm not trying to spin inflation positively but is there a commodity that kind of finds fuel more so than others?
8: That's a great question, Tyne, not just because you asked it, but truly a great question. If we have rampant inflation, you would think gold would be exploding. So here we do have big time inflation, gold and silver finishing this week strong, but overall gold unchanged on the year. So take everything you've ever learned about inflation. That's when we have to add crypto. Now, I think your viewers are like, we're watching U.S. Farm Report and they're talking about crypto. The difference between crypto And the Fed is that you can't print any more Bitcoin, but the United States government, or grandma who had $100,000 in a CD this year, when you look at real inflation or what she could have made if that money was in the stock market, every 100,000 doing nothing lost 25,000 this year in its potential buying power. Crypto's going up 170% over the last 10 years. I don't own any, but I wish I did.
1: Well, when you, Darren, when you look at inflation in a time that we haven't had inflation before, what did we learn? Do you think that could benefit farmers now?
7: Uh, <laughs> what we learned about inflation, um, you know, you have to be willing to ride this out. I mean, and, and you have to use some of these ag markets as the as the economic indicators that they are. You know, but for, you know, for production agriculture, you know, the biggest thing was did we get fertilizer locked in because you know one of the one of the key facets of inflation right now is a skyrocketing cost of of uh, fertilizer heading into next year so I mean it's just how do we play it what signals do we watch what are our key economic indicators these have all come into play here in 2021 I think they're going to be just as important in 22.
1: All right so what commodity are Darren and Tommy the most bullish on as we head into 2022 we're going to ask them that later on U.S. Farm Report so stay with us. Well, how have the demographics in agriculture changed here's john phipps
2: shortly after the 2020 census results were made public much was made of the decline in the white population of the u.s in discussing this with a friend he said it was in large part because of adding new choices to the identification question i didn't remember any new categories, so i went back and checked The race and ethnicity of the 2010 and 2020 questionnaires were almost identical. I'd also thought that this was the first census where you could check more than one box, but it was there in 2010 too. Okay, is this white plus category a factor in the decline of white numbers? Well, not so much. The white plus category, where more than one race box was checked, did magnify the drop in white alone numbers from 72.4 to 61.6% of the population, adding in the white plus category raised that total to 71%, a much smaller difference with 2010. While still deciphering the jump in white plus citizens, demographers have speculated that for some reason. People have just become more comfortable identifying with two races. The Census Bureau had asked OMB to add Hispanic slash Latino slash Spanish as a race category in the 2020 Census. They didn't get a reply in time to change the form. Consequently, Hispanics are classified as mostly white, but respondents could choose any other race. Reclassifying Hispanic as, as a race would create a significant drop in the white population. This mix of ethnicity and race is both confusing and unhelpful, but for political reasons involving legal uh, actions for discrimination and voter redistricting, it remains, providing at best an incomplete picture. For 2020, the white alone population did drop a surprising 8%. And we are on track to be a nation of all minorities as the white population drops below 50% in a decade or so. This projection of a white minority can seem alarming, especially to communities with few other ethnic groups. I don't share that worry because we aren't really sure what being white means. In addition, the fertility rates between and across all ethnic groups and races are still plummeting. Squabbling over racial and ethnic definitions is merely shuffling deck chairs on a titanic population shipwreck. This will be a topic of growing concern, and I'll talk about it again as we emerge from the shadow of COVID.
1: Thank you, John. And if you have questions for John, you can email him at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, when we come back Machinery Repeat, he has tractor tales this weekend. That's next.
0: Find farm equipment
8: on Machinery Pete's December 21st online auction. No reserve, no buyer fees. Start bidding now at auctions.machinerypeat.com.
3: Hey, welcome back to Tractor Tales, folks. This week we're going to hop out to Western Pennsylvania to learn about a special 1954
6: Farmall Super MTA.
9: I got it probably in two thousand eight. It was original paint and everything when I got it. The engine blew up on it four years ago I'd say. And I rebuilt it and just kinda went over the whole tractor. It does all the square bailing here. It does plow I plowed a couple fields with it last year and it, it still works. This front grille was smashed in against the front bolster and we had to work on it, get it banged out, and the sheet metal was there's like a tree fell across the hood and there was holes where the power steering's at and it, it needed a bit and I put new bearings in the rear end and I redid the whole engine. There's everything's new in the engine. So. I know they're supposed to be rare, what well, they made they only made them one year and they're supposed to be rare, but out in this neck of the woods, there's a lot of MTAs. The style of the M with a torque, live power, power steering. And even for baling, I like it because of the straight drawbar. You don't have the three-point arms banging around back there. It's just you put on a square baler and go.
1: From the fierce winds in the plains to the tornadoes that touched down in Kentucky. Devastation took hold this week. And we'll have a closer look at what transpired in Kentucky and the damage it left. That's next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back.
1: Well, just over a week ago, Kentucky was hit with rare mid-December tornadoes. And as we showed you earlier, that storm caused pure devastation in some areas, including in Princeton, Kentucky. And as the University of Kentucky shows us, it's a key research facility in Princeton that took a direct hit.
4: 30 hours after the storm went through.
5: We haven't seen a long track violent tornado like this in Kentucky for quite some time.
4: We're at Princeton, Kentucky at the Research and Education Center. It's also the home for the grain and forage center of excellence.
5: We saw a very strong to violent long track tornado pass through the region. Obviously significant damage, something no one wants to see. No one wants to see in their lifetime.
10: We have no loss of life. This is what I wanna keep reminding everyone. We had minor injuries, no loss of life.
5: A mile to the west, you'd be in downtown Princeton. Very populated area, obviously, compared to out here at the farm.
10: We're down here with the fire marshals as we speak, learning that most of our buildings are condemned even the new one that was just built uh, for the Grain Forage Center of Excellence.
4: It was a massive hit. Uh, So the main building has our laboratories, our offices for everybody, uh, and our meeting rooms and such. And there's nothing in that facility structurally that's salvageable at this point.
10: The greatest thing that we've had is the outpouring from our community. We've had so much help offered for the beef unit to make sure they are watered and fed um, for our herd that we had to turn people away it's humbling to know that they're thinking of us that way
4: we recognize that there are other areas of the state that were devastated heavily and loss of life we don't want to diminish anything that other places are going through as well now a lot of our county agents are already working at, at helping people out the kentucky ag community is a strong community it's a kind community it's a generous community and um, we're gonna rely on them pretty heavily for a while to help us all get through it.
10: We're not closing doors now. We might just look a little different and be a little more fragmented um, for the near future, but, but we do have a path forward. We don't know what it looks like, but we're here to support and we'll be there.
5: I've been telling people this seems more like a generational tornado. Um, We just don't see this very often.
1: Well, the storm brought tornadoes in damage across the Midwest and South, and there are ways that you can help. We'll show you that at the end of the show. But first, what's in the commodity price potential for 2022? Our marketing roundtables are next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator, it's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential. Pre-order by January 31st with coupon code USFR for free shipping.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Darren Newsom as well as Tommy Grassofi joining us. All right, Tommy, heading into 2022, which commodity are you most bullish on?
8: I, I have a hard time being bullish. We may close this year above $6 in corn. And I'd, I'd really like to be on the sidelines for that or or be hedging up. So for our clients, I want them hedged up. As a speculator, someone who owns a seed at the Board of Trade, I don't have a position or a a big bullish position of any commodity right now. It's okay not to have something. Now, if you're watching the show and you have fertilizer bought and you just prepaid for everything you could because you don't want to pay taxes, you're accumulating a position. So, you know, from a client standpoint, I want to lay off a little risk. I'm very concerned for what we talked about and Darren mentioned in the first segment, when we catch up. When the world catches up with all these commodities, 12 months, 24 months from now, 36 months from now, what's it look like when you go to the Ford dealership and they have 200 pickups for sale again, discounted 22000 under invoice? That will happen again. It's going to be a while, but we will go from running out of everything to having too much of everything because that's what we do.
1: Darren, as you look at some of the, the the things that that China announced this week, some of the tariffs that are, they're eliminating, the you know looking at beef imports, opening up some beef imports from some countries that they hadn't. I mean, do you think the dynamics change with exports into 22? And as is that a risk for the U.S.?
7: Yeah, I, I think I think the U.S. situation with China is still a risk. Everything we've seen, you know, yes, China may be changing some of its of uh, some of its import and export businesses. But, you know, if we look at the tension between the U.S. and China, you know, it's not getting it's only getting worse. Uh, You know, we've got the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics. We've got, you know, uh, recently Congress has passed or moved to pass some legislation uh, putting uh, putting penalties on China for its human rights uh, violations. You know, all of these things kind of play into the fact that, you know, we've become a secondary provider know let's look at just the soybean market we're we're a secondary supplier now to china and you know so this is again bringing the weather situation in south america to the forefront because if there's a good crop in brazil you know they're they're not going to move much from from the united states they don't have very much on the books right now they'll only move what they need until they get a better idea of what's going to happen in south america so I, i think it's going to be a key factor in 2022 once again And I don't really see the situation improving much from where it sits right now.
1: Tommy, every year we enter a year with a lot of uncertainty, right? What's going to happen in South America? What's the U.S. going to plant with acreage? I mean, we have all of that. But this year, when you add in the inputs uncertainty, there's just a lot for farmers to wade through. What is your advice when it comes to a marketing plan for this next year?
8: Well, You're going to have to call each customer individually and ask them, what do they have prepaid for versus what they don't? From the clients I'm talking to, especially the Iowa clients this week, they said some of the supplies they're looking for, it wasn't the price that was bothering them. That's aggravating them plenty. It's whether they can get them or not. So we're going to have to wait until spring. A lot of fingers crossed on can I get this and what price does it cost? Obviously, we know if there's a problem, there's going to be an incredible amount of soybeans. But... Given the chance, and if things line up right, the American farmer will plant a lot of corn. There's a lot of bins and dryers, and farmers don't like to let those go unused. So if there was ever a year we could have a, a acreage rotation, it would be this. But to, to that point about the acreage rotation, all the other crops that don't trade at the border Trade, flax, sunflower seeds, are all at record highs. So there's a lot of products that are very profitable for our friends in the fringe acres. Keep an eye on that cotton corn rotation.
1: Okay. And Darren, what's your advice for our viewers heading into this new year?
8: We have
7: to keep an eye out
8: on all these other things. But,
7: you know, the, the key to me is, you know, how are the currencies going to play out? What's the political situation going to be between the U.S. and some of the key world, the uh, largest world buyers? You know, the acreage, the acreage debate happens every year. It's going to come and go again here in 2022. Uh, but again, as Tommy mentioned, it's not just is, you know, the high cost of
1: fertilizer. And thank you so much for joining thank us. You. All right, we need to take a quick break, but up next, a final sale, one that happened in the most touching way. We'll have that grit with grace story next.
0: Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Grit with Grace is brought to you by Zoetis. Your dedication runs deep and it fuels everything Zoetis does. To protect and support cattle and those who care for them, we are Born of the Bond. Learn more at bornofthebond.com.
5: Well,
1: life doesn't always go as planned, and it's through heartbreak we're often reminded of that. But for one family coping with loss, their extended family came through in the most fitting way, and it's a final sale in this month's Grit with Grace. Chaz Schmidt was a man with a mission. At 35-years-old, he had a passion for the farm with a knack for helping youth. I always had young kids out here trying to get more kids involved. People who knew Chad say showing cattle was his true
3: love. A lot of people say you don't learn, you learn from your elders, but I learned a lot of cattle stuff and showing stuff from my younger brother. Jeremy Schmidt says his brother was someone people were just drawn to. My mom always called him her little social butterfly.
7: Chad had his own work to do, but if anybody asked him to do something, he'd find the time to do it.
1: A memorable laugh, it was his chuckle that was his trademark.
3: The Beef Expo every year was one thing Chad really looked forward
1: to. It was like a vacation for him. And in October, as Chad was setting up for Expo, nothing was out of the norm.
3: And all of a sudden, Matt texts me back, call me, I need to talk to you right away. Something happened to Chad. So I call Matt and I'm like, well, what's going on? And Matt told me, Well, Chad, Chad collapsed. The ambulance just pulled
1: in the uh, cattle barn up here. They're working on him. Without much information about what had happened and not knowing where the ambulance was taking Chad, he started driving that way and called their parents.
3: And then to find out that he had passed before we got up there. (sighs) Made the ride a lot harder. One thing that we
1: just took kind of as solace is he passed away doing what he loved. The Minnesota Beef Expo was where Chad felt at home and it was those at Expo who wanted to do something to honor Chad.
3: They're making calls to collect
1: money or
3: we'll buy the heifer on the sale and then give her back to you guys and you can take her
1: home. And I'm like, no, that's not what Chad would want. Instead, Jeremy knew exactly what Chad would want.
3: Our goal was here is to see the heifer go to a young person that would exhibit her and take care of her and would take pride in having
1: her. Over the next 24 hours, the expo went on as usual with a team of people helping get Chad's heifer ready for the spotlight. And it was Jeremy who would then show Chad's heifer in the ring. The show organizers were kind of worried about me showing if I'd be able to handle it. And he did, Chad's heifer won grand champion As the Expo paid tribute to the man who dedicated so much of his time to helping youth, it was a tribute to Chad in the most fitting way.
2: The only thing constant in life is change. And Chad loved the youth. He loved breeding cattle. He loved
0: coming to the Minnesota Beef Expo. But Let's give the Schmidt family know that we're behind them 110%. Let's give them a big hand of encouragement.
1: As the sale took off, it started with a $5,000 bid.
2: Someday about $10,500, dollars 10,
1: But what happened next?
2: And then even gets better, folks.
1: Was something that wasn't planned in weeks or months. Less than 24 hours after Chad died of what they think was a heart attack, the Shorthorn Association in Minnesota, along with friends, pulled together the money to buy Chad's heifer,
2: This young man, I think he's here, Lee, uh, Leighton.
1: Only to give it away.
2: And they're giving this effort, uh to this young man.
10: There's something about her that I like the way she looked and how she set up and everything. And I felt like she had a special place in my heart, but I couldn't quite figure out why.
1: What Layton didn't know is Jeremy had searched through the applications of the Minnesota Youth Beef Experience Program. Layton would be the one taking Chad's heifer home.
10: I'm with her every day for at least an hour. And she is just a favorite. She's so funny.
1: And Layton wasn't just any kid. Great. This is
7: fantastic. Like you said, Chad, I know you can be yep.
1: He's the grandson of a man from whom Chad purchased his first short horn.
7: Kind of
3: a full circle coming together there where we started ours from his grandparents and he gets to start his beef herd from us, basically bring everything full
1: circle. A heifer who Chad had named Destiny. When you're
10: feeling down, she knows when you're feeling down, like if you're sad or something, cause she knows and she'll come over to you and she'll put her head on you.
3: It's just a really humbling and unexpected just how within 24 hours, what started out with a few phone calls. It's a special thanks for all the people. It shows you that the cattle people. It's a great
1: community. It's a great community. Chad died doing what he loved, surrounded by those who loved him. I don't know if Chad really understood or realized
3: how appreciated and loved he was within the beef community and i pray he's watching down he was the type that would like to be remembered that way that he was trying to
1: make the world a better place a story that came full circle as they worked to keep chad's memory alive well a couple items were also donated at a minnesota beef expo those were raffled off and that money combined with some of the money that they raised will go to put a scholarship together for chad but for now Layton says every cattle show he goes to is going to take that picture of chad with him all right when we come back john phipps has customer support
2: this weekend are speculators driving the oil market
1: Oil prices were up 2% on Thursday, but is the price of oil all about supply and demand? Here's John Phipps.
2: From Jay Brown in Ravenna, Ohio. Love how you completely discounted the psychological influence on oil price speculation. Already forgot 2007-2008, we are absolutely in an oil price speculative situation. Just like Bitcoin people are seeing big returns, and FOMO, fear of missing out, drives the market, not fundamentals. This is absolutely 100% because of Biden. This is an interesting idea. I tend to discount speculative action in any commodity simply because they have to unwind those positions at some point. Any speculative position must have a counterpart on the other side of the trade for futures and options, so somebody is betting the opposite. Maybe these charts will help. The commitment of traders lump traders into three main categories. Commercial, those are people who actually use and sell real oil. Non-commercial, that would include the speculators, and a very small group called non-reportable. Speculators have gradually lowered their collective long position during 2021. Long positions indicate the belief that prices will rise. It looks like there is no dramatic price nor trend upwards. The St. Louis Fed has studied this belief about speculation and concluded that the main drivers for oil prices are, in order of uh, impact, supply, demand, oil inventory, and finally, speculation. Oil is about fundamentals. The administration canceled the KXL in January, but there's little evidence of immediate speculative action. Oddly enough, oil prices have dropped significantly since August. As I tried to show earlier, because we import and export about the same amount of petroleum, the U.S. is less sensitive to supply shocks like an oil embargo. In fact, higher oil prices have helped fracking to get going again, especially in the Permian Basin. Nevertheless, Oil prices aren't set by our own supply and demand, but globally. The much more serious energy shortage, including transportation fuel in Europe, is probably a stronger factor than U.S. production issues. If other countries are desperate for oil, it raises our prices as well. For the consumer, the lag between oil prices and gas prices can be irritating. One curious thing is that complaints about fuel prices lead me to think it will speed adoption of electric vehicles. It's already happening, but in an almost unseen way, and I'll talk about that very soon. Thank you, John.
1: Well, the devastation from the tornadoes and the fires this week are just heartbreaking, but there are ways that you can help. That's next. Well, as we showed you earlier, the tornadoes across the Midwest and South and the fires in the plains all caused just pure devastation this week. And now many are pulling together to help. As cleanup continues, relief efforts are also being pulled together. If you would like to help producers in western Kentucky impacted by the storm, a GoFundMe page has been set up through the Kentucky Department of Agriculture and the Kentucky Farm Bureau Federation. And in Kansas, ranchers are still trying to assess the number of livestock and buildings that were lost in the wild winds that sparked several fires midweek. And in many cases, ranchers say nothing's left.
2: It's going to be a long road back to recovery and what we need is gonna change every minute. If you can't be here to help us, go and help someone else. And if you can't help them, at least let them know that you're thinking of them and, you know, just, Just emotional support at this point is about as good as anything.
1: We will continue to follow the fires in Kansas and track down the best way you can help there. But the Dickerson's telling us the Kansas Livestock Association may be the best place to start. And all of those links and more ways that you can help can be found on agweb.com. The agriculture community pulling together. Well, that's all the time we have this weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to join us next weekend on Christmas Day and that weekend for our annual Christmas in the Country special. We have stories that will inspire as well as stories about giving. That all happens next weekend. We hope that you join us as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.